welcome to the History Voyager, a podcast about history. My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and this is another episode where I talk to somebody about Bitcoin. Now, why am I doing this? I'm not doing this because I'm necessarily a proponent of Bitcoin. Although I will say that my take on Bitcoin is what I would characterize as evolving. And the reason I say that is because I can certainly see instances even today where it is very useful. Uh, You can live in regimes of unstable governments where for legitimate reasons you might not want to have to deal with that government. And one way in which to do that is to use cryptocurrency. And again, the the purpose, I think, of this podcast, and indeed of this podcast channel, is to talk about the like, what I would characterize as sort of the changes in which I see these, these important changes. Because one of the things that I've noticed in doing this podcast, and even before I did this podcast, was one of the things I noticed was our society is not working. And I, I I believe I said that way back in one of the early episodes of the Spanish Flu, which even inspired me to, to go and to talk about the world in which we find ourselves. Because the world in which the writers, these authors of these texts on the Spanish Flu were living and talking about, even though it was 2000 and 2005 and 2010 and so on, was simply not the world of myself and my contemporaries at all. You know, they would talk about a world that, a world of technocratic, essentially technocratic proficiency, a world where, you know, we were striving to be more efficient and more knowledgeable and and there weren't the bumps in the road that the people in 1918 had to deal with and that's just not really the case as far as me and my contemporaries would be able to tell you in a lot of ways so in in doing in reading that i realized that there was a basically a gap that Essentially, the mainstream or mainline or basically the top-tier press and the top-tier media was ignoring. They were ignoring this gap. And I feel like as an independent podcaster, one of my responsibilities is to talk about the gap and to talk about maybe some ways out of the gap. Now, I'm not here to say at all that, you know cryptocurrency or this fellow does uh, coin pass that cryptocurrency is a silver bullet or it is without problems or not problematic I certainly don't think that at all I do not think this is a panacea and I want to say that right off I do not honestly think this is a panacea um the world in which Jeff Hancock was describing, as he was describing it, I could think of many, many problems upcoming 
problems that my parents and grandparents, well, my parents are still alive, so they might have to deal with some of these problems, but my grandparents certainly didn't have to deal with some of these problems at all. And to some extent, and this is what I keep getting back to with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general, to some extent, you're reinventing the wheel. But then again, I can certainly see where the game might change. I can totally see at some point down the road, you might end up getting a segment of society that simply has called into question what, what you might call the furniture of the world. So these so-called fixtures of the world that everybody assumed were permanent, or at least very, very permanent-like, right? They might call them into question so severely that it might change or alter the structure of the world irrevocably. And to me, I immediately thought, as soon as I started interviewing these people, that, you know, in light of everything going on in the world, you cannot do this anymore. You cannot think that the way the world was 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago is always how it's going to be geopolitically speaking. Yes, okay, that's a given, or we thought it was a given in the first world and, and in the countries of the, the top-tier economic countries. We, we had tricked ourselves into believing, I think, that these countries would always be here. But I don't know that that's the case anymore, and I don't know that anybody listening to this podcast believes that. I, I want to thank you guys, um, whether how much formal education you have. I want to thank you guys are, are fairly intelligent, you know, and, and fairly up on the world and fairly curious about things going on in the world. And it's it, it really is deeply humbling to me to have an audience at all. Um beyond my close friends and family. That's that's very, very deeply humbling to me, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I really, really mean that. But one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast channel was to explore basically how the world can change, what the new reality of the world could actually look like and how might we get from there to here one of my potential uh, podcast guests who didn't make the air referred to email referred to cryptocurrency as though it were email in 1985 now the parallel immediately is that in 1985 there was email but, and it was useful, but the world had not quite caught up to the potentiality of a world in which email would be even more useful than it was in 1985. Today, could you imagine a world without email? I mean, I certainly couldn't. I use email all the time, not just to communicate with my podcast guests, but my friends and family, I, as I've said before on the show, I have, I have friends all over the world, and I use email and various apps 
essentially to keep up with them and to talk to them. Um, now, with that said, this is a very interesting podcast, and I want you, as as you you know, listen to it, I want you to give it an open mind, and I also want you to pay very close attention to the world in which this man is talking about. Pay very close attention to the way he d- he talks about this world, because the world he is talking about is a world in which. Everybody who succeeds in that world is going to have to be flexible and is going to have to be intelligent and is going to have to be adaptable and is going to have to basically compete on a global scale for their labor. And I don't know if Americans are ready for that. I don't know if Americans are ready to have the conversation that we're going to have to have because the entire rest of the world, at least our so-called peer countries, are putting high-speed internet out into the deepest boonie. And we're not doing that. Now, I don't want to get into a, you know, a socialism versus neoliberalism talk right this second. But I do want you to understand that our country is making policy choices, which I firmly, firmly believe are going to hamper the world of work in terms of the daily lives of American people, people living in this country. Because here's the deal. Our cities are becoming so expensive to live in, it's almost ridiculous. So where are people going to want to live They're going to want to move. I really think there's going to be this sort of this mass exodus into what you might want to call the exurbs or perhaps the rural communities. But the thing that's going to hamper that more than anything is the lack of high speed Internet. These thought workers, these symbol manipulators are going to need high speed Internet. Right. Because. Not everybody's going to be a farmer. Not everybody's going to be a mechanic. Just like it turned out, not everybody's going to be a lawyer or a professor or God knows what else. Not everybody's going to be a mechanic or a, a plumber or an electrician. I'm sorry, but this country has this nasty habit of telling its citizens that, oh, we need this. This is something we need. So let's educate our children to become that. And then by the time that first wave is educated, you don't need all the first wave, but you have wave after wave after wave of other people that have come in to be educated for something that somebody thought they needed five or ten years ago, which now they don't need so much anymore. So we need to understand there is no permanent silver bullet. And we need to understand, I think, that the modality of living is going to be much more exurban and much more suburban and much, much more rural than it has been in quite a while. I would I would strongly suggest because the way the property is rising in this country. I mean, like like Cheryl Ring says, we're creating a massive homelessness crisis that we've been doing for the past 21 years. But it's going to get worse. And eventually, I think, if we're not already having a reckoning for that, uh, 
we're going to continue to have a reckoning for that. And I think this coin pass guest and his economy where you can live in Atlanta, Georgia, but work in Singapore, but never leave your bedroom in Atlanta, I think that's going to fold in into this homelessness crisis that we're creating. Because I wonder, honestly, if we're going to have time to formally educate people for this world. I really do. I wonder if this is going to be a revolution that takes place among pre-existing workers who just keep shuffling around the global board virtually. But, you know, that's, that's far from somebody like me to say. That's not my expertise. In this realm, I'm just a very intelligent person who's observing the truth. Or at least what I perceive of as the truth. Anyway, thank you, and as always, I'm having a lovely day, and I hope you are too. Bye-bye. I'm here with Jeff Hancock of CoinPass, and you work in the Bitcoin space. Is that correct? That is correct, Ben. So, I, as, as I was just telling you, I don't know enough about Bitcoin to know if I'm, I don't want to use the words pro and con, but I don't know enough about it to know if I'm pro or con Bitcoin. So why don't you explain to me about what that is from your perspective? Sure. Um, so, I mean, straight off, I mean, thanks for having us on the on the podcast. It's always great to connect with uh, other people from other lands uh, and talk everything from tech to crypto investing and, you know, everything in between. So when someone asks me this question, you know, what is Bitcoin? Um, I like to kind of akin it to like, what is money? And what is our, you know, understanding of money? Um, some people see it as transactional. Some people see it as a store of wealth. And you kind of need to wrap your head around that a little bit to then say, you know, what is Bitcoin and what's the benefit of it? Um, if you and I were sitting at a bar uh, and, you know, you buy me a drink, I can either buy you another drink or I can give you some money in return. But if I give you, say, five or ten US dollars, we're trading that five or ten US dollars via the US bank, you know, or, or, the, or the treasury. It's a US dollar and that's how we agree what that value is. Now, the difference between, say, a US dollar and a, and a Bitcoin is that, when we transact in Bitcoin, there's no government intervention, there's no third party, there's no you know oversight by any one person. It's completely decentralized. It is a digital form of currency where two people uh, can be truly peer-to-peer -peer and transact with each other without using a government or a bank. And it's when I say it's completely decentralized, you can have uh, uh, what these these people called miners or nodes or however you want to think about it. And there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them out there. And they form this decentralized network that provides all these kind of payment infrastructures. And that's kind of it on a, on a simple front, right? Two people can trade without having to use a bank or a government. Okay. Um, now I had spoken, I don't know if you've heard my podcast, but I've spoken to a a woman in Venezuela who was talking about how she can use uh, cryptocurrency to to buy things mm. uh, at the store because they apparently the the currency in Venezuela is so terrible you can't even like if there was a store to go to you couldn't pay for basic stuff at the store yeah with your Venezuelan currency um 
So, I mean, that that's a pro right there because you're separated from a government. You can use e-currency um, to, to buy staples. But the, the basic, I guess the, the barrier that I see uh, is that I can't today, right, right now, I can't go to my local, they call them grocery stores here, right? I can't go to my local grocery store and pay for eggs, milk, and cheese with Bitcoin, right? So that's, to me, that's the barrier. Is there, Are there other barriers that I'm missing there or... A little bit. So it's kind of an adoption thing, right? I mean, when like credit cards and card services and that kind of stuff came out, you know, that took years and years before it was on every street corner and years and years before there were like ATMs and cash points everywhere. You had to go to the bank and fill out a form or you had to use your card, you know, at the branch. That's the only place you could ever use your card to get cash and do anything. So it didn't really do much. And it took longer and longer before... You know, what we're used to today is, you know, I can walk down to a general store or a grocery here in London and I don't even have to have my card on me. I don't even have to have my wallet. I can pay with my watch, you know, and that's an evolution of tech that's taken a very, very long time to, to come around. So the whole, you know, you can't buy bare essentials and stuff with it yet. We're just not at that mainstream adoption bit. We're still very, very early doors. Somebody uh, that I spoke with who didn't actually make the podcast made the analogy that this is like email in 1985. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's it's exactly that. It's what email did to the post office. You know, it's what uh, you know the internet did to encyclopedias. It just takes time. Okay. Um, now I I spoke with a bit with a with a fintech expert who said that one of the main barriers to Bitcoin is that the banks themselves are what we are, what he called uh, conservative. And mm. that doesn't mean they're politically conservative. It means they're just conservative with their setup, I guess you'd say. Um, so what, what is the stressor that you think is going to move banks to Bitcoin? Well, what I think it definitely is, it's definitely, they probably see it as a threat. Because, you know, whether you like to admit it or, or not, if you're a conspiracist or you're a realist or whatever, you know, all of our lives in one way or another revolve around some sort of money and some sort of transactions, you know, from getting paid your paycheck, paying your rent, uh, getting food, providing for your family. It all revolves around some sort of banking and financial services. Um, and what they see now is a way that, you know, people and businesses and all that, all those kind of, you know, uh, transactional uh, occurrences can now take place without a bank. So it is an existential threat, not just to their business, but to, you know, government monetary policy it depends how big you want to, you know, put the tinfoil hat on or take it off. Um, so when they're, you know, conservative about it is that they have a responsibility to their users and to their clients. And, and then obviously the, the shareholders as well to ensure that they're protecting their customers from fraud or from risk or from losing their money or whichever way you want to spin it. But at the end of the day, the banks also have a responsibility that your funds in your bank account are yours to use. So if you want to go and, you know, trade them on the stock market, you're, you know, more than eligible to do that. You want to go and trade them on gold and commodities, you're eligible to do that. And if you want to go crypto and Bitcoin, you should be able to do that. And that's where I think there's still a lot of 
you know, misunderstood animosity between banking and crypto because they see it as a threat. They're not really seeing the tech as, wow, this can actually be a, a massive benefit to our business. Okay. Now, um, let me, let me get you to look in your crystal ball, if you will. <laughs> um, now I know we've, we've gone, we've just now had a, a global pandemic and they're at least in my country, they're just starting to roll out a vaccine, but Let's say uh, if you go five years into the future, say, where do you see uh, society five, six years in the future? And would we be able then to to use Bitcoin at the grocery store? Bitcoin, because the way I call I mean, I said back in the early 2000s, I was like, well, this isn't going to start rolling out until normal people start wanting to use it for things and why would you want to use it for so my my one critique of bitcoin that i just can't get past because i i see what you're saying Mm. that it it allows you to get it allows you to work around oppressive governments and it allows you to whatever blah 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 blah. all right but you've got to be able to get the so-called middle american or i guess the middle britain or whoever right you've got to be able to get them why would somebody want to get off the dollar if the dollar is perfectly good or, or the pound uh, or, or, you know, sure. the pound or the euro or whatever. Right. So, I mean, you could, you could kind of spin that a few different ways. We've got some clients that uh, are not comfortable being in the pound and the pound or the euro, or the U S dollar right now. I mean, uh, 20% of the U S dollar supply was printed in 2020 alone backed on no value whatsoever, basically turn the printer on and face it at financial services and press print. Uh, it just literally added a bunch of zeros to the circulating supply. That's something that you cannot do with, not all cryptos, all cryptos are different, but Bitcoin specifically is it has a fixed supply that can never be changed. You'd have to control more than 51% of the network, which is physically impossible to do now. Uh, maybe back in 2009, when it was still experimental, you could have taken over the network and changed the code. But the way that it's hardened now and there's that many people participating in the Bitcoin network is that it's impossible to change the, the source code, um, the algorithm of which Bitcoin is designed. As a fixed amount of 21 million coins, there's new coins minted every 10 minutes. And every four years, the amount of fees that are generated by the people running the network uh, halves. So you do the same amount of work, you get half the reward. That sort of built-in inflation makes it very predictable in terms of like the price action we've seen recently um, was something that a lot of us were expecting from like May last year uh, up until now. We didn't expect it to go that violent that quickly. I don't think anyone did. Um, But now we've had a bit of a pullback as well. So because there's a fixed supply and because there's, you know, only so much to go around, I would have likened something like Bitcoin similar to say gold as a store of value and not really a payments network. Now there are many other cryptos out there that which do much better for getting paid a salary, for buying something at a restaurant, for getting your milk and eggs, all that kind of stuff. There are better alternatives than just Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just the, you know, it's the Ford Model T. It's the first one off the lot. It's the, uh, the brand name that goes with crypto is Bitcoin at the moment. Okay. Now I know off air, uh, you had said, look at me using a radio analogy. Ha ha. I'm a, digi- <laughs> I'm a digital immigrant. I'm a digital immigrant at heart. Uh, okay. Before I started recording this show, Hey, how about that? Um, 
you had said you you aren't going to give financial advice. Sure. So, and okay, let's. I'm saying Bitcoin like I would say Xerox, mm-hmm. right? Because Xerox to me is how you run a paper off and whatever. So, what would be a, I guess, a e currency or a cryptocurrency that that I could say go buy milk and eggs with or is sure. that financial advice or whatever no i mean we're still cute we're still talking about you know the five-year theory bit now right you know where do i see the 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 space going in multiple years well i think there's going to be more digital nomads like you and me um i can pick up anything tomorrow and go back to australia where my family is i could pick up take my laptop my phone uh and my watch and you know work from anywhere in the world uh am i tied and denominated to one single currency no and i for my own financial wealth, I intend never to be tied to one fiat currency. So I think being a digital nomad, being a freelancer, running your own business, having a few have a, have a, a few streams of income, and having one or two cryptos baked into that, and then being able to spend that crypto somehow, I think yeah. opens up a lot of opportunities for a lot of people. So your Venezuelan um, uh, example from earlier, really, really perfect example of, you know, some people see some cryptos not bitcoin specifically but some cryptos as quite volatile but the volatility of some of those tokens is absolutely nothing compared to something like you know the venezuelan the venezuelan um, currency or some of the uh, african currencies where they can't get a bank account and they can't get an address and the money is worth less than the paper it's printed on you know the the, the paper is more valuable you know, they're taking the the fiat currency to recycling centers by the ton to get a rebate on it because they get more for recycled material than they do on the money. So using a form of digital currency that they can transact with anyone in real time, they can see it on a ledger, you know, it's on the mobile device. Most of the Western and Eastern world have mobile devices now that are capable and allows them to run their life. And imagine if you started taking your salary like that as well as a freelancer doing work online from anywhere in the world, that opens up a huge amount of possibilities to support your family and support your, uh, your lifestyle. Well, one thing that, that, you know, doing this podcast, right, I've spoken to folks all over the world, and I spoke to a woman, I'm not going to tell you what country she was in, but for obvious reasons here in a second, but I spoke to a woman who, uh, basically, she was like a lot of folks. She went home to mom, and then the pandemic happened, and but she still has to work, and so she works in the country where she was living, but she like she's living with her mother and the only way they can pay her essentially is through bitcoin and to me that's what you're saying that's like the tip of the um tip of the spear the tip of the spear yeah and i think that sort of you know financial it's not really a financial evolution sorry it's not a revolution it's an evolution because i think banking and financial services for the most part and i'm not just talking about the western world here like london united states there are still massive problems even in these developed societies you know i moved from australia which is a commonwealth country to the uk and it took me two months to get a bank account two months you should be able to set that up you know instantly you've got my name you've got an id I can you know, prove that I'm a legitimate person, but there's that, that much red tape and that much inefficiency that it, it was impossible. Now that was in 2010. We've come a long way in 10 years. Even so, you know, the financial exclusion that still goes on today 
is rife even in parts of central london people that work at coffee stores or cleaners or bus drivers or whoever some of them struggle to get bank accounts or access to financial services could be simple as a couple of hundred bucks in credit it could be something like um a way for them to make some extra money on their investment all of those kind of things are almost kind of cut off to you know um lower class or middle class people when it should be inclusive for everyone and that's where i think you know fintech as a technology and crypto as a you know a payments layer or an interaction layer um, has the ability to open up so many possibilities to so many people um, because like even sending money from uh, UK to Australia or UK to America it still costs like thirty to fifty bucks if you use your local bank. Everyone is moving over to these fintech services because they're getting better rates on their money they're getting better deals they're getting better tech better integration i can send money to my mum in australia in in four minutes now it used to take a week costs a dollar 20 to two bucks i'm happy to pay it i just don't want to pay 50 dollars because it's an absolute waste of time and a waste of money those middle layer services is what needs to be evolved with technology in order to create more financial inclusion and that's where i think a lot of traditional financial services can learn a lot from what crypto's done over the last 10, 12 years. Right. And the thing, I mean, the thing that as, as we're talking, the thing that, that I keep running into is in my head is, so this world that I learned about on which our government in America is based on compromise and is based on the principles of the enlightenment, mm-hmm. it, it strikes me that that's actually going away. And it might mean it might be that crypto could be the ejector switch for a lot of people, essentially, maybe. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question because you're living in London and Brexit happened. Mm. Do you see a moment where so like if the pound destabilizes, people could go to crypto? I think that's already starting to happen. Um, I think some people were, you know waiting for that pin to be pulled back in, you know, July last year, where we saw, you know, we were mid mid pandemic uh, and we still had all these business owners and contractors and, and whoever else uh, raising, you know, serious concerns over the future of the pound or the future of them uh, staying in the country. Um, and so some of them were preparing by hedging into other currencies or, you know, setting up residences in other countries uh, or making big plays in, in, into Bitcoin um or doing a multiple of those kind of strategies so i mean it comes back to what we're saying you know being a global citizen instead of just you know one specific country um i think now in this day and age you know with enough willpower uh and enough research um it it, it doesn't take much to to really swing the needle in your favor uh if you want that sort of um you know global citizenship sort of to to, to, to kind of take it seriously and really move that way i've got a an e-residency in estonia so if i want to be you know base all of my income in euro for instance i can open a bank account i can have access to tax services all the other kind of stuff as if i was a citizen of an eu country i don't physically have to live there but i've got all the documentation to do that and i think now in 2020 is a is a really amazing opportunity for people to really kind of like i'm not happy with this i want something better there's plenty of opportunities for people to go and do that now even in mid-pandemic Okay, tell me. Okay, because I've never heard of an e. What did you call it? I don't want to call e, it e resident e residency. So you've got 
you know, you move to another country and you live there, you'd be, you'd be a resident of a country without being a citizen. So I'm still an Australian citizen, even though I'm a resident in the UK. So for me to be a resident of two countries at once, it's quite a headache from a tax perspective. So you could become an e-resident where you can be based and live anywhere in the world. But for tax purposes, I can elect where I want my my tax and my payment services to be kind of based. And there are some really generous tax breaks and um, uh, you know um, income tax rules and, and capital gains rules, et cetera, um, in the country of Estonia. And that's why a lot of fintech companies or, or FX companies or specifically crypto companies uh, are based there. And they basically have most of their government infrastructure running on blockchain. Um, it depends whether you believe the meme or not. I think it was taken a bit too far, but a, fr- a friend of mine who runs a business in Estonia, it's not if Russia comes back to invade Estonia, it's like when they come back to invade, they'll be able to run their country services from anywhere because they're on an immutable ledger. It's all on blockchain. There's no, you know, all digital files are encrypted and accessible, la, 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 la. Uh, and that goes along with a digital ID that I have to show that I'm a digital e-resident of that particular country. So if I was to leave UK tomorrow, I'm not going to live here anymore. I could be sitting um, in a cafe in San Francisco, doing my freelancing, doing my work, etc., and I get paid in euro to my account in in Estonia. That's one of those kind of financial inclusions that's possible to people that want to take that kind of lifestyle. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I believe uh, a bunch of U.S. citizens have it. I think Steve Wozniak has one. I know Angela Merkel, the the um, Chancellor of Germany, has one. Uh, they're pretty much open to, I want to say everyone, but nearly anyone that wants it. It's uh, it's a really, really good scheme to have a look at if you're, you're keen to kind of break out, see part of the world, and, and kind of keep working. All right. Um, hey, I, like I tell people, uh, I learn more on this podcast than anybody. Um <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, wow. Um, so, uh, Jeff, let me ask you a question. Um, with the way the world is now, how the, that you can turn, essentially, you, like you can turn governments on a dime now. If I feel like you can move a, a government needle on a dime now. Do you see a moment where the average voter in the world or the average intelligent voter in the world is just going to have a mass exodus to, to crypto and e-residences, et cetera, and so on? Um, I don't know if it would be a mass exodus. Like I say, I don't really like using the word revolution. Otherwise, you see stuff in the news like we had in, in the U.S. Capitol last week, um, which is pretty crazy. I think there needs to be an evolution of choice. Um, I think there's like... Um, almost kind of like layered bits of society that almost either refuse to move or don't have the opportunity to, you know, people being born into, you know, certain communities uh, or into certain, um, you know, wealth classes or whatever. And some of them don't really see a way out. And I think that comes from a lack of either education um, or a lack of opportunity, both of which can be easily solved with, with technology, in my opinion. Uh, you don't have to give away money for free. I think you need to give the people the opportunity to learn more um, and to access more opportunity. And I think the rest will take care of itself, whether it's greed, whether it's you know opportunity, whether it's providing for your family. Everyone's got their own reason why. But I feel you put more opportunities in front of people, people will take them. So I think an evolution of... You know, whether it's government policy, whether it's, you know, um, ability to get access to jobs, whether it's foreign or domestic, people will naturally take the path of least resistance 
uh, and if that means getting paid in crypto and you can still have your lifestyle as you wish, then yeah, I see there they're an opportunity in the next couple of years where it becomes more mainstream, maybe not a mass exodus, but definitely more mainstream. Do you feel, okay. And there's another question I want to ask you, uh, but do you feel like it's going to be like, um, so the silly example I give is like uh, cord cutting in America, what we call mm. cord cutting in America, which yeah. is like where I was, everything. Yeah. I was a cord cutter. Uh, so I ditched my cable company before the word cord cutting ever happened. Mm. Right. And then it kind of snowballed. And now, I mean, Comcast cable is, is having a huge problem and there's di- different sports leagues in this country or you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, but, but do you think it's like that where it'll start as like a trickle and then basically a flood? Yeah. Or- I think it's a really, really good example. Actually. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because I mean, you could see almost a bit of it, like when online started to come up a little bit more. And, you know, when I think a Netflix was a bit of a niche thing and like one of your mates had it, but there was no content on there. Suddenly, you know, a couple of friends of mine that were still doing quite a lot of the, you know, the torrenting and pirating and stuff like that, they've kind of nearly stopped that behavior because like there's more than enough content on their Amazon and their Netflix that they couldn't be bothered pirating stuff anymore. You know, um, the same with, you know, content on, you know, like the sports leagues and stuff, all of them have their own streaming service now that you can pay for. So do you, you know, if you only watch um, MLB, Major League Baseball, and you're a you know and you're you're a national league fan you can go and get a subscription to watch all of those games you don't have to have your big you know comcast or sports subscription to watch you know 15 different sports you're only interested in one you get the choice of consuming the content that you want through your tablet your pc your laptop and your phone for 10 bucks a month that seems like a really really easy or a really easy choice to me so i think the cord cutting analogy is really you know i think a spot on one because i have you know, seeing the same trend. I've got friends of mine in San Francisco and parts of LA and, and, um, Northern New York, and none of them have cable anymore. They have a, you know, a wired internet connection at their house, but they tick no to like all of the optional extras that they can possible because they want a really good solid connection to do their home streaming business and stuff on. But the rest of the time they're on, they're on mobile, they're on WhatsApp, they're on messenger, you know, they're on those, yeah there's wireless apps that may hook into a, you know, a more expensive Bluetooth headset or something like that, rather than having these fixed line subscription costs that are just irrelevant. It's the, it's the Kodak moment when digital cameras came in and they've completely missed the boat. It's the blockbuster moment where they completely missed the internet fad. And like what blockbuster is like, what a bit bit of a novelty meme now. That's about the only reason people hear about it. Um, And it's that kind of market evolution that, the people that keep innovating stay, you know, relative and the people that, you know, don't spot the opportunity and stick with the same business model end up dying off. So Comcast could be one of those that dies off in five years. Well, I mean, I think it'll be kind of before that unless they adapt and whatever. Yeah. It's offering, you know, they become a telecom company like Apple is now doing a lot of stuff in finance. You know, they've got the Apple card that integrates all of your products into that. That's an amazingly good move for them. They're also doing content like Netflix and they have some amazing A-list content on there because they have the money to do so. Um, And those kind of businesses, the ones that have the market reach that have, you know, the technological reach, uh, all they have to do is absorb, you know, a couple of startups here and there, you know, watch and navigate the market and stay, um, uh, stay relative. relative right. sorry. I am not going to pass this opportunity by. 
because you are of a different country and we speak the same language and you seem like an intelligent person. And I know this isn't what we wanted to talk about initially back in the stone ages of us trying to set this up. Uh, for those of you who, let me just a little inside baseball. You and I have been trying to hook up for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and we finally did it. And I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay. Podcasting is forever. I'm going to, you alluded to something that happened last Wednesday. I want you to tell people in the future what you were alluding to and then how you saw it unfold, etc. Oh, about, about the capital. If you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So like, I'm not really a politics kind of guy. I don't really follow even, I mean, the local elections in Australia, definitely not stuff here in the UK is you know a bit of a, a bit of a joke. And then the only stuff I see in the news is kind of what I you know see on Twitter. And then when, you know, the protest kind of started, and it kind of started to kick off, you know, um, my WhatsApp feed started blinking pretty hard. So then I go onto Twitter and you're watching this kind of unfold in real time of not just, you know, live live tweets and news reports and this, but literally live video. Uh, so you were literally connected with these people on the other side of the world going through this, you know, quite traumatic event, uh, who it was being led by and who it was instigated to. That's, you know, it's all hearsay. But it was definitely a point where there was like a power to the people where it was there's more of us than there are of them and they took control over something that they um you know believed in that strongly to go and do that kind of action and seeing it unravel on this side of the world is you know it's kind of scary in a way because that could definitely happen here and i think it's almost happened here a few times even in central london where i've been going to work or going to uh, an evening out or whatever and there's a peaceful protest which turns into a you know, quite a violent one. And I think the more geopolitical turmoil that goes on and the longer it goes on um, without these kind of equalities addressed, whether it's you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, whether it's about education, whether it's about financial, whether it's about, about whatever, people's resilience is always going to get, you know, broken down some way. We're all human at the end of the day. We're all the same species. And the more things that affect you in certain ways, it breaks down your resilience. Um, and, and, and that can result in stress. It can result in weight gain. It can result in, in, in whatever kind of, you know, manifestation. But if we're aware about it and we talk about it in healthy forum and on podcasts like this, and even the new fad, which is, you know, the clubhouse thing, which I actually love, um, and have healthy debate to address these issues and to get self-help where it's needed. Um, yeah, as a species, we are relatively intelligent we, and we can figure stuff out. So a lot of these world problems don't require massive change. They just require tiny adjustments, which I think everyone is capable of. Yeah. All right. So, huh. You said the Clubhouse movement. I don't know what that is. What, what is the Clubhouse? So it's this, new, it's this new app that came out about, I don't know, week ago month ago i don't know they've done a really interesting kind of viral marketing thing where you can download it and you can access some of the app but it, it benefits mostly on you you get one invite to invite people in so you bring that one person in and you kind of get more access to the app and it's essentially just drop in chat so we're on a podcast now if we were doing this on you know a zoom call or an ms teams or whatever uh you would have to join you know, have the code and have the, you know, all the security permission stuff to be able to jump into that call uh, and talk with people. 
but they have these kind of live chat rooms that are going on and some of them are talking about crypto some of them talking about fintech some of them talking about pitching uh connecting with people fitness and you kind of just drop in uh muted and you listen to the other people that are kind of conversing or or talking or, or whatever and then if you have a question you want to add anything you can raise your hand and whoever the moderator is can allow you to kind of speak so it's this you know thousands of rooms of miniature groups of people coming together from all over the world um and it is very very addictive you kind of go in there and you listen for a bit it started to replace a bit of my my kind of podcast listening time and you're connecting one-on-one or one-to-many about a super super niche topic which on twitter or something might just be you know noise and text and it doesn't have any sort of I don't know for lack of a better word. Human interaction. Yeah, yeah human human interaction. Human you know, conversation. You, yeah. you lose so much context through text um, and that it's so much more real dropping into a room and having a couple of have a, a couple of sentences of someone. Uh, so a friend of mine, Sam, uh, you know, shout out to Sam Lynch and her, and her PT training that she's a business she's building out at the moment. Absolute hustler, makes a lot of content, does really well. And she started a few clubhouse groups on there and she invited me to drop into one real quick so of course i wanted to help her out and i did that for her and yeah uh really kind of kicked me in the butt a bit to you know focus on my uh physical health as well as the business and my mental health in order to get all of those let's call them investments working together because you can sit behind a screen do 10 hours a day and try and you know grind out a business but if you don't take care of yourself a what's the point b the business is going to suffer and c you're not going to perform at your best so just that little five minutes of interaction was actually really beneficial to me because it made me go outside made me drink more water made me get up and move around a bit more um off the back of a five minute conversation that i wouldn't have paid i wouldn't have paid attention to a text message i definitely wouldn't have paid attention to twitter um and it's just a bit more real and it's um no, it's quite yeah. a good little innovation. So anyone that's like seeing it as like the new fad marketing tool, blah blah blah, just give it a try. It takes a it's minute that. to sign up. There's some really really cool things in there, and you'll definitely connect with someone that you will uh, you'll benefit massively from. That seems like a revolution in the making to me. I mean, yeah, I think that so as well. Really does. Because imagine I mean, if that was like local, you were uh, trying to, um, you know, we're reaching out to all all corners of the globe. A friend of mine was sitting in Australia. I'm here in the UK. Someone else is in the US you jump into a random room and talk something finance investing That's, chill club breakfast club you know they call it investor breakfast clubs um, and it doesn't have to be video you can sit here in your in your pjs in your pajamas have your coffee yeah. um and have a, a a really beneficial networking call and i think you know peak covid someone's taken you know the the core need that some some humans need of uh, you know social interaction and boiled it down to you know it's absolute you know, minimal, simplistic, drop into wow. a chat, you can talk on it. Uh, you get a couple of alerts here and there, um, find something that's, you know, super niche to you. And there's hundreds of categories in there. So no, really, 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 really worth looking at. I don't usually plug new fat apps that often. No, 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 no. That's, it's, thank uh, you. It's, it's, it's been a good one for me. So I think, I think people should give it a try. Thank you. I wasn't even aware. Like I said, I, I learned something new today. Huh. Two things new. Not even not even noon yet where I live. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, okay. So do you see, I mean, so with all this like clubhouse, et cetera, I mean, you could really create your own community in the world. I mean, in a way that you could yeah. do with Twitter, I mean, or whatever. 
because it's really, yeah, you, you, it's a way for you to create a really strong connection. You could do you know what you're doing right now, right? We can make this a you know a live podcast session, and it's a once a week, and you can get you know a guest, um, and maybe like two follow up people, and people can raise a hand up and ask live Q and A questions, and then when it's over, if you can't hang around, you can actually hand the moderator off to someone else. So not only is a networking tool, it could be a podcasting tool, it can be a mentoring tool, it can be a networking tool. It could be your family, friends and mates thing instead well, of having thing, to do the... Yeah. yeah. One thing I've noticed, even just with podcasting, is so I, you know, I've become very well educated in history just by listening to history podcasts, mm. going for walks. I mean, for as an example, mm. I mean, and it's just, I mean, I know this is a a trope but it blows my mind how like when these smartphones came out like what oh nine yeah uh, uh when, whenever that was like nobody thought it was going to do this nobody no the the, mo- the biggest thing that was on you know a smartphone was the the coke or beer drinking app and text messaging and email oh i have my emails and text in one device okay great what else? And now where you know where where the, some people listen to this on what well, Apple and Spotify and everything else, you've got your camera, your music, information, yeah, right, uh, right. ability to reach out to literally anyone on the planet um, without uh, without nuking too much of your battery. You know, it's uh, it's an exactly. it's been an, an insane ten eleven years of change. And I mean that's why I said earlier. I mean, memory, put your crystal ball on and and think about five years down the road. I mean, you almost mm. kind of do that laughingly now because nobody thinks nobody today knows what's going to happen in five years. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what we've seen in the last 10 years will happen in the next five. You know, if you think about, yeah. Oh yeah, 2010, everything was still, you know, okay. Then, right. We weren't in poverty. We had YouTube, we had all this stuff. Yeah. MySpace was still popular in 2009. I mean, and no one right. even knows what it is anymore you know that's how quickly it can go um we've seen you know the london skyline has changed dramatically in 10 years uh parts of australia where i live at the farms and stuff has changed dramatically in 10 years and in tech you know even streaming some sort of youtube on a normal internet connection was a was a struggle and now we've got 4k coming down to a mobile device you know, I think just the mobile evolution alone and batteries and Tesla and all the things that kind of go with that and that little trajectory. Ten yeah. years is a very short space of time. I mean, I'm on my third career at this point, but in ten years alone, I've I've barely been able to keep up, and I do this for a living. Okay, let me. Um, we talked about streaming video earlier. Let me um, tell you a little story, and then we're going to bring it into the future. <laughs> um, I had a girlfriend. I didn't realize this until I had Netflix, until I got Netflix, like in oh seven or oh six, um, the DVDs, which I still have. But I had a girlfriend back in the nineties that had Netflix really early. It must have been Netflix. The catch was, it was uh, it wasn't DVDs. It was uh, VHS tapes, mm. and they would mail you. They would mail you this mailer that you had to assemble to mail the to mail the VHS tape back, and you had to put it. You had to actually drive to the post office and hand it to somebody because you couldn't put it in a in a mailbox. Yeah, it wouldn't fit. Yeah, 
Right, right. And it was also fragile, and it would say, yeah. don't put this in the okay. <laughs> do not Do not fold. Yeah, whatever. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So then you had the DVDs, and suddenly you don't have to go into the post office. Like, you can just put it in the mailbox. So what is that moment for anything that you see? Like, what's the – in the analogy, like, what's the moment where – this can happen, but I still have to go to the post office and hand it to somebody mm. moment that's choking things off. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like what's kind of a next big thing like that. So, um, something we didn't have even five years ago was, you know, this mass investment in last mile delivery, you know, getting food delivered to your house was still a, you know, a massive luxury. Uh, and now it's a quite a common thing. I mean, yeah, Uber Eats and et cetera, it's still not the cheapest, but I mean, getting your groceries delivered for two bucks is a good deal, you know? So right. what is my time value to me now? Um, Amazon Prime kind of changed that whole narrative on its head, you know, getting stuff delivered uh, from shopping online with a single click. And then it went from a single click to, well, you get all your deliveries for free if you pay us a subscription. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to order more now since my delivery is free. So that blew their business up uh and now it's down to get a, get an item next day or even some stuff here in london you can get it within two hours because of the distribution centers are so good so that whole slide from ordering something and getting it eventually to getting it within two hours has been you know massive yeah. um so last mile delivery is definitely a big thing uh I'm not really. I'm still not really sold on drones. There's just too much danger around um, stuff falling out of the sky. So drone deliveries and you know all that kind of stuff. I, I'm I'm still not really buying it. I think um, how we tackle like growing our food and getting our food. I think that's going to be a new kind of novelty. And where I think you know we've got this thing in in the UK. We like you know beer is a big thing. In the UK, I wasn't a beer drinker. I'm from Australia. I wasn't a beer drinker until I came to the to the UK. Make it that way. And there's a big movement over here around microbreweries, around craft beer, and and etc. And I think that sort of craft beer movement and like microbrewery movement could go over into food. So like these whole vertical gardens and vertical farms, you know, to yeah. to you know, the biggest consumer at the moment of land in parts of Latin America is actually creating soybeans to feed chickens, to go into supermarkets, that supply chain is just decimating everything. So if you could either a grow them more efficiently, B stop eating chicken or C grow food in a more local way that requires less emissions, better, better agricultural tech. It can be grown in the middle of a city. So you've got less logistical costs, so you've got better distribution, so it's fresher, all that kind of stuff. I think that's a really interesting movement. I'm not in that space whatsoever. I just think it's really cool that these guys are taking like four containers stacked on top of each other. They cut a hole in the middle of it, and it's like a rainforest full of carrots and lettuce and stuff like that. That's amazing. In be- in, I mean, crammed in between two buildings. Changer. I think that's cool as shit. Uh, that's just that's a like, game changer. That's like something out of Back to the Future, you know, when that like salad bar comes down from the roof. That's kind of an evolutionary step. You, instead of getting it grown outside of the country or outside of London, it gets transported on a truck at four in the morning and then you buy it at five in the afternoon. It's a day old and it's about as best as you can get. I think you'll be able to pick it up fresh from the greenhouse within a mile of your house in five years. That's where I think some of that, you know, that moment of I have to go to the store and buy something or I can get it delivered or I can get something fresh 
from my local produce. When it's local produce, it's grown in South London in my postcode. That is probably a really cool thing I think could happen. That's amazing. I mean, to think, I mean, think about how healthy people could get. Just yeah, it's and... it's quality of food, right? Everyone likes a bit of a binge. Everyone likes a bit of a sugar. That's fine. But when you do, you know, really, you know, I've learned a lot of cooking <laughs> during COVID. I've watched nearly all of Gordon Ramsay's offerings. I've made his beef Wellington twice. And what I've found is, yeah, we go through uh, a shit ton of vegetables and a shit ton of salad now because we make stuff from scratch. Yeah, we make we... pastry from scratch. We make mm. all this other or sauces. From, I love making sauces and soup. I just like to use my blender. My blender is awesome. But using more fresh produce in that way, it's cheaper. It's better for you. It tastes better. You get to use more spices. You get to experiment. I've made five different types of chowder in the last four oh, months. Because wow. we're like, yeah. well, why don't we do this instead of this? Let's try this. What about leeks? What about this? And we just keep doing new, th- new stuff, you know. And you don't get that unless you actually dig in and learn. And I wouldn't have done that if I was so focused on my business and not like, well, COVID's happening can't work 15 hours a day i like eating right. i like cooking let's do more investment <laughs> into cooking you know that's yeah like um i tell you the we we go through eggs and flour like you would not believe yeah <laughs> we every time because we every single except for like four meals since last march everything i've eaten has come out of my phone or somebody's phone in this house Seriously, grocery delivery, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's just, you would not believe how many eggs. We go through eggs at a scandalous rate. <laughs> it's, it's all the cooking. It's all the cooking you do and yeah. pastries and whatever. Um, so let me ask, because um, I think that this internet with food, the internet bringing you food, I think that's going to stay. No, definitely. I think the convenience is to, you know, it registers too far into someone's need level now instead of a want. I used to measure stuff in need and want. Uh, I want this, I don't need it, or I need this, I can't live without it. I think there's some financial services who have lived there now. So people need their app style banking, you know, or they need all their currencies, all their stuff, or their investing. They need it on the phone because that, that stays with me at all times when I'm in control. The ordering food and getting here within an hour is still a bit of a novelty to me, but I see some people that it runs their lifestyle as you know, it's a requirement that I can't live without. And I think that whole food, mobility, last mile, and all of those kind of, you know, layers of tech built together right. um, for better eating, better health, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that could be a real, you know, something we take for granted five years from now. It's just the norm, you know. Well, to me, that I mean, as I look back on it, to me, the thing that, that caused streaming to proliferate to literally everybody who could do it was the great recession and people having to move in with their parents again or people having to move in with somebody and people were like why am i paying this for this cable yeah right? when you end up just channel surfing looking for something to watch like why don't i choose the content that i want to consume and as soon as you introduce choice to it people will inherently over time make better choices and if, if you don't like well okay i don't yeah. i don't have to sit through this movie because it's not just the only thing on there's a library of a thousand different things and it's categorized and i can search and i can give it a voice command and those layers of categorization you know that there's a bunch of stuff i've found on netflix which i didn't think i was interested in until it kind of popped it in front of me because i you know i like thriller stuff i like conspiracy stuff i like business and finance stuff 
Um, and sometimes the girl, my girlfriend uses my account. And so there's some other kind of, you know, baked girly stuff in there. And it spat out this series two days ago called What If with um, Ray Zellweger. Uh, and it's a bit murder mystery. It's a bit finance and startup. It's a bit girl flicky. It's a bit conspiracy. It's got all of the boxes ticked. And I would binged four episodes like this is amazing i'm not going to spoil it for anyone but i highly recommend you watch it yeah yeah cool. what, mean, what, what with, if with me there was a a little while ago actually several years ago now there was this thing on youtube that popped up this turkish soap opera that popped up on youtube <laughs> and I'm one, not, of, one of the, the one of the many rabbit holes you go down you end up at turkish soap opera i love it well i'm not <laughs> you wouldn't think that i'd be interested in this at all because i'm like I'm into like Game of Thrones and and murder mysteries yep. and action films and blah blah blah, but damn it, this Turkish soap opera is just so fast. It's just so fascinating. It's so well written, even though I can't, even though it has to be subtitled. And I'm like, oh my god! But this whole world that we live in just proves to me that this blue marble is small. Yeah, I mean, very small. It's, it's getting smaller. Small moment, mm. and it's just so crazy. Um. And I just think with this, you know, the whole onerous, I think the the next generation, you know, thinking longer than five years now, let's go out to kind of 10, 15, the next generation, which are kind of, you know, the ones not born yet, I don't know what letter they're up to, uh, but the ones that are, are um, you know, getting born in like 2030, that'll come into their own and start contributing to the economy in kind of like, um, you know, 2045 and et cetera. The whole concept of a down payment on a house will seem foreign because maybe there's ways to crowdfund your first house and micro loans and stuff like that, that you'll be, you know, not only earning in multiple currencies or, you know, transacting in multiple ways, but when you go and buy a coffee at your local coffee house, you could be directly investing in that local business, you know, so in micro investing into uh, more local societies that are more self-sustaining and more environmentally friendly, all of those little things on a micro transaction and subscription-based um, and, you know, less of an onerous on ownership rather than use um, and, um, what's the word, consumption. So what was one, one thing Warren Buffett said, you know, ta- oh, no, sorry, not Warren Buffett, um, Bill Gates, don't tax me on my income, tax me on my consumption because there are a lot of guys that live on a lot less that still pay massive taxes because that's just the way they choose to live their life. And I think that whole narrative could be a really interesting shift from what we take for granted now to what's going to be the norm 15 years from now, you know? Well, to me, there's a, there's a thing. So I had a podcast guest on, on, I had a guest on my podcast, um, who she's a tenant facing lawyer Hmm. and she clued me into this whole thing where America for the last 20 years has had this insane homeless crisis, Hmm. which is actually getting a lot worse. Mm. And it's getting to the point where you have working like out in the Pacific, right out Pacific coast, you have working adults that have really good jobs that cannot afford to move out for mom and dad. Yeah. And to me, I'm looking at the, to me doing this podcast, I'm looking at this and I'm going, we're doing this wrong. Like yeah. we're, we're thinking we're, we shouldn't be thinking about getting a place and, and living with your by yourself or maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband, your wife. To me, we're doing this wrong. We're, you know, this, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Friends, like the show Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that whole model of living to me is just that's getting really passe really yeah. fast well, I mean, it seems like a bit of a it seems like a bit of a history thing you know, to begin with. Like, really, how do these people have that much time to go to the same coffee house all the time? When I've been to the same coffee house maybe three times because it's on the way to the train station, but there's four other ones around here that I happily go and try all the time. So, going to the same place all the time with the same people is just something that doesn't exist anymore. Um, going to the same holiday location every single year—that uh, was something that was very big back in the late 80s, 90s. Um, even my mum, who's in her 60s, she can't bear to go to the same place twice unless it's absolutely remarkable. You know, There's so much extra choice and right. extra opportunity that why would you narrow yourself in? Um, so yeah, the whole, you know, the, like the, just as you say, like the rent stuff, like San Francisco, I couldn't believe A, house prices and B, rent prices. So someone earning 250K a year is considered middle class in some parts of San Francisco and California. Yeah. I talked to a person, I talked to several people out West, um, California way. And they're just, I mean, it's, but something is going to happen. Like something is going to pop off. I, I can guarantee you where you're either starting to live with your parents for real, or like there's going to be this massive migration to rural America and the only way that's going to work in a in a in a covid post covid world the only way that's going to work is is high speed internet has mm-hmm. to has to get out in rural and, 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 and logistics you know some of those yeah. you know for and i don't say this in a salty way it's just a term that i heard you know the flyover states the ones that just get flown over there's you know a huge amount of sparse area very little towns and some of them like you say they don't have proper internet proper tv proper agriculture they might have only that kind of agriculture but no other logistical links to other resources and in 2020 in one of the largest countries in the world that's you know horrific to think that there is still such a massive gap one thing that we've you know yeah i don't say we've closed all of the gaps in australia australia is a big vast place uh, but everyone lives within 200 kilometers of the ocean because that's where the infrastructure is now what we've done over you know the dozens of decades that you know the, the, the hundreds of years that the, the, the country's been in existence is get really really good at logistics so moving stuff around vast areas is something we're exceptionally good at which is why you can still have a lot of space in australia um but you go inland you know you go you know 500 600 kilometers inland yeah it gets very very sparse very very quickly um and that's probably going to be the the same sort of fate that um that parts of australia follow as well same as america i mean parts of america yeah i mean my i mean yeah the term flyover states i, I hate to say it because it's it it started out as a as an inside baseball political term, but mm. I mean, like my aunt, okay, my aunt lives in a town not not objectively that far from me. She pays double what I pay for internet. Yeah, and it's like not even half as good. Like it, it's just like amazing. It's there's a real problem. <laughs> that we have to fix in this country with that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so is there anything like you want to talk about while we're kind of, um, wrap up or? yeah, I think, you know, if I was to put on one message to everyone, uh, it was, def- it's definitely to, you know, be curious and verify 
there's a lot of you know sharing and secondhand knowledge that gets passed around which turns viral very very quickly uh prime example a lot of news going around the uk at the moment uk banks are banning crypto profits and no one can transfer back to the bank it's one bank it's hsbc and no one likes them anyway um so actually you know getting down into the weeds doing your own research i think one skill that's helped me on you know all of my careers basically uh being able to research and being able to establish at least the truth based on an assumption that i build myself not just going blindly with a crowd and i think if you follow that mentality through everything that you do through your education choices through your relationships through the way you interact with people verifying you know a source of truth or something you're comfortable with instead of just going with the norm uh you'll make better informed decisions and then that combined with a little bit of discipline and maybe a little bit of greed here and there which is a good thing if you follow gordon gecko <coughs> part of me is you know seek something better don't sit by idly when you may be sitting in like yeah one of these flyover states in america listen to this podcast trying to think how can i get out to more parts of the world sit down on your laptop put on some gary v start up an instagram account and make some content on what you like what you're good at um, and reach out to other people from other places. You'll be surprised if you can, that you strike up a conversation with uh, someone like Ben and Jeff sitting in different countries talking about tech, finance, agriculture, politics, crypto, everything the world over within, you know, what, 55 minutes. But you can create a connection with other people for social, for coaching, for content, for sharing, uh, for business. Go on there and be a freelancer. Get a side hustle, make yourself an extra 500,000 bucks a month. It starts out that way and you can turn it into a very, very profitable way to have a global audience where you get to pick your clients, not the other way around, um, which is great for people like myself as well. And when you get to a, a larger business level is that I don't have to pick people in London geographically close to my office. We don't even have an office anymore because I was using it four hours a week and I'm like, this is a waste of time. I'd rather have two hours a day back traveling and just work from home and come into one particular place once a week and cram all my meetings together. Mm. And we did that until COVID and it worked great. Now, when we have a, a new job role we want to source, we source globally. We were just doing a project um, project manager uh, PM development role. We had people from uh, from Brazil, Philippines, Malaysia, Australia, Canada, Europe, one from the UK, uh, one from the Ukraine apply. So 10 people, all different walks of life, all tech related. And we get to choose from the best talent pool globally because we don't lock ourselves in one geographical location. And as soon as you trick that little light bulb in your head, there's literally no excuse for not setting your own trajectories to success, health, wealth, whatever you want to define as important to you. So I would say, yeah, challenge yourself for better. Always look to verify stuff. Always look for that source of truth. And don't be limited by your uh, your geographical location. All right, Jeff. That was beautiful. Um, hang on the line, please. I got I to gotta download your end of the podcast, my end of the podcast. And uh, I want to – we're going to do this again, okay? Awesome. I'd love to do it again. It would be great, great to talk right. to you. And thanks for the opportunity. Oh, no. Thank you.